example of this, then um, in Ephesus, in Acts chapter 19, there's a great story about the sons of Sceva. Do you remember these guys? Um, they're seven sons of the Jewish high priest. They're in Ephesus, where this church is that Paul's writing to. And they came up with a great idea. They want to imitate Paul. They want to, they're going to underestimate evil and overestimate their own abilities. <laughs> and so they decide, well, Paul is casting out demons. Paul is doing these amazing things just by using the name of Jesus. That sounds cool. We want power. We can do that. And so they go into this man who, who's known to be possessed by an evil spirit. And they come to this person and say, I command you by the Jesus who Paul proclaims, come out. And the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know. Paul, I recognize, but who are you? <laughs> and the, the guy possessed by evil jumps on these seven guys, beats them so bad that they run home naked, wounded, in front of the whole community. And this story spreads throughout the city. It says all the Jews and Greeks heard about this encounter. And the effect was an honoring of the name of Jesus. Evil recognizes who Jesus is. Do we? I mean, these are guys who overestimated their own ability to confront evil on their own terms and underestimated the powers that are against them. You know, that's, that's a supernatural way to do it. Um, but we're, what, one of the ways I know we in the church tend to do this is the way we interpret the armor of God where we overestimate our abilities and underestimate the power of evil. Because think about the sermons you've heard about the armor of God. It's here are all the things that the armor is telling you you must do. Here are all the things you must do as a Christian to overcome evil, right? Wield the sword, memorize all the scriptures, um, pick up the shield of faith, just believe. Um, Put on the belt of truth, speak the truth, tell the truth, don't lie. Uh, put on the breastplate of righteousness, which is uh, your righteousness, your, what's protecting you is your witness, right? Now, what, what Paul is telling us to do this morning, and this is what I want to zoom in on as we see what the armor of God is, is he's saying, be strong, not in yourself. Be strong in the Lord, and the way you be strong in the Lord is to trust the armor he's given you. All right, so if we as a church are going to be changed by the gospel, if we're going to attempt to be faithful witnesses of Jesus in a community that doesn't care about the gospel, we need the armor of God. We need to be strong in the Lord. And to do so in a way that doesn't overestimate our abilities, we're honest, <laughs> and underestimate what we're actually up against. So let's, let's look at the different parts of uh, the armor of God here this morning. And this is the first point, is the armor of God is showing us God, the divine warrior. Right? So last week, the way we ended is that the armor of God is first something we receive before we put it on, in order to put it on. Right, Because if you take Paul's metaphor seriously, and, and, and literally, if you take it too literally, I would say, 
How are you going to put on the Holy Spirit yourself? Right? How are you going to put on a helmet of salvation and, and, and protect yourself from evil? How are you going to put on righteousness and truth? Where do these things come from? And that was the, the point is, right? We, we need to receive all these gifts. These are gifts that we receive in the gospel. And so... All these things in Ephesians have been shown to be gifts of grace through faith in Jesus alone. That was, that's how we ended last week. And so what, what Paul is actually doing is he's pulling imagery from Isaiah to show, um, to show what we have in Christ, to show the power we have. Right? And, and it's all describing God's power and God's strength, not our own. Maybe if you grew up in the church, you probably remember the images of the Roman soldier uh, on the flannel graph, right, or printed out in papers nowadays. Right? But before Paul wants you to think about a Roman soldier, and it's quite possible he's, he's in chains under Roman guard, there's probably overlap, so I'm not, it's not all wrong. But what he's really getting the church to see is look at who God is. Look at the armor God put on when he came to rescue you so that you understand what you have in Christ. And so we're going to, you're going to need your Bibles open. We're going to look at several places in Isaiah this morning, right? Now, the, the, the point is we're going to be shown the Lord, the divine warrior who gets off his throne and comes down to fight for his people. And so let's look at Isaiah 11 first. Edward read for us last week. All right, Paul first says, put on the belt of truth. And if you follow the cross-references, um, the belt of truth takes you to Isaiah 11, verse 5. And Isaiah 11, if you've never read it before, is an Old Testament description of the Messiah, of this person who's going to bring worldwide peace. He's filled with the Spirit who's going to, through his own righteousness and his own faithfulness, do justice and right what is wrong in the world. And so if you look at verse 5, it says, Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And I know it's a little bit confusing because we're saying, well, where's truth? Right? Paul said truth, Isaiah says faithfulness. And you know, in English, truth and faithfulness do have overlap, right? If you're told to be true to your marriage vows, you're saying be, be faithful to your spouse. And in Hebrew, it's the same. There, there is an overlap in the way you translate the word for truth and faithfulness. Um, and so it's just more of just helping clear up some of the confusion that can come with this. But what, what Paul is saying is that this portrait of Jesus as he comes to right what is wrong in the world is he's armed with righteousness. He is righteous. But he's also armed with faithfulness as he puts on the belt of truth. Right? And so it's telling you that Jesus, when he comes, or this Messiah figure, when he comes, is going to speak the truth. That, that's one part of it. And, and you listen to Jesus' teaching. He, he will say things like, Amen, Amen. Truly, truly, I say to you, I swear to you, I'm telling you the whole truth, nothing but the truth. 
Or, or he'll say things like, I only tell you exactly what the Father has told me to say. Right? It, 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 in, in the context of he's saying, you can trust me because this isn't my agenda, this is God's agenda. Right? He's not going to lie to you. He's put on the belt of truth. But I think even more so, this is saying Jesus is true. He's loyal. He's steadfast. That in the conflict that will come when you try and right what is wrong with the world, he's not going to tap out and run away when it gets difficult. Uh, he's not a coward. He's faithful. He's true to the end. He's even to death on a cross. Right? When, when Jesus is facing the cross. You remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? The faithfulness of Jesus. He says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, not my, but not my will, yours be done. And it says in Luke, he was in absolute agony. And so he prayed more earnestly and sweat like drops of blood were, were falling to the ground. Right? He was looking into the cup and feeling the full just feeling the weight of what he was about to experience, that the beginning of his suffering was right then and there as he realized, I'm going to die. I'm going to take the curse that God's people deserve. I'm going to face judgment. Take this cup away from me, if, there, if it be possible, Father. But he stays faithful. All right? I mean, Tolkien taps into this idea of being true, right? When, when Sam Wise Gamgee says to Frodo, it's like in the great stories, the ones that really matter that are full of darkness and danger, and it's so bad that sometimes you don't want to know the end because how can the end be happy? Right? How in the world, how could you, the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? And the folks in those stories had all kinds of opportunities to turn back, only they didn't. They kept going because they were holding on to something, right? To be true. Jesus put on the belt of truth. He, he was holding on to trust in his father and holding on to us. Right? That's the first part. This is about the Messiah wearing the belt of truth. Second, the, the breastplate of righteousness and, and the helmet of salvation and this is in Isaiah 59. All right, so we get another portrait of, of the Lord, the divine warrior. And if you're reading Isaiah 59, the first 15 verses are bleak. It's dark. Um, right? People aren't doing what they ought. There's no truth. There's no justice. There's no righteousness. That the world is littered with the wreckage of broken promises, deceit, and greed. And basically, Yahweh sees his people suffering, both at the hands of others and by their own hands. <laughs> and it says they have no one to intervene. God's people are moaning like doves, hoping for help, but despairing because they know they don't deserve help because their transgressions, their sins testify against them. So how could the Lord come and fight for us? Right? And so what does what Yahweh, the Lord, do? 
verse 17, right? he gets off this throne, puts on his armor, and basically says, I'll do this myself because there's no one else to do it. Right? And verse 17 says, he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in, in zeal as a cloak. According to his deed, to their deeds, so he will repay wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies. And then the, the effect will be in verse 19, so they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. That when God comes, God's people will respond in faith. And so, again, this is what I think Paul has in mind when he talks about the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. Right? It's, it's showing you God. Right? It's this person, the Lord, Yahweh, who is, we know, Jesus comes in the flesh. He is Yahweh. And he gets off his throne, comes down to earth, and plunders us from the kingdom of darkness, wearing a breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. Right? It's just saying he's come to save and rescue his people. You go even further down in verse 21 of chapter 59. It says, as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth, they shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. It's the sword of the spirit, which is God's word. Right, so the idea is Jesus this divine warrior comes, gets off his throne, puts on righteousness, right? He does what is right. He wears a helmet of salvation. He comes to save, not to condemn. Who goes on the offensive with God, using the Holy Spirit, preaching the gospel, telling the truth. And when he comes, he's going to give his Holy Spirit to the church, to his people, so that we would have his words in our mouth. And be able to tell them to others. Right? That's three parts of the armor of God straight here in Isaiah 59. It's what Jesus wore to accomplish our salvation. You go to the next one. The shoes of peace. Isaiah 52. Let's turn back the page a little bit. It's Isaiah 52, 7. And Isaiah 52, 7 says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, to Jerusalem, to God's people, right? Your God reigns. And then the, vo the effect is the watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. Verse 9, break forth into singing, you waste places, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. Right? The readiness to go that the, the shoes of peace point to. The good, just the person who goes out and tells the good news of God. <laughs> the person who goes out and says, God reigns, and that is good news. And if you believe that is good news, right, you, that, that's evidence that the gospel's at work. Right? See, Jesus is the one with beautiful feet 
this divine warrior who steps off the throne down into our world to tell us the good news of the kingdom. God is near. God reigns. Just think about his teaching. You who are anxious and afraid, don't you know that your father feeds the birds, the sparrows? And they don't neither gather, they don't sow or reap, right? But yet God provides for them. And don't you know that you're of more value than the birds? It's just a creative way of saying, hey, God reigns. And he goes on every time he tells what he's going to do when he goes to the cross. The Son of Man will go to Jerusalem. He'll be betrayed. He'll He'll be crucified. And on the third day, he'll rise again. He's proclaiming God's reign through his death. See, Jesus wore the shoes of peace for us. Uh, The shield of faith. Uh, It's another Old Testament image. This is going to go all the way back to Genesis. But it's in Psalms. It's in Isaiah. Anywhere where it describes God as our shield. But the first place God describes himself as shield is in Genesis 15. If you turn there with me. Abram is afraid. He's anxious. He's had a real encounter with evil. War has happened. A bunch of kings uh, were were battling it out, and his nephew Lot became a prisoner of war. And so Abram took some of his servants in like a guerrilla night raid in chapter 14, went and rescued Lot and his family and, and brought him back. And so now in chapter 15, right, he just went to war with these neighboring kings. He's afraid. Because if you pick a fight, they might fight back. Right? And so in Genesis 15, when uh, God comes to Abram and says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, and your reward shall be very great. Right? God is saying to Abram, trust me, I will defend you. Have faith. And and what Abram does is he believes and it's accounted to him as righteousness in verse 6. It's an amazing statement that that the the faith of Abram is accounted to him as if he had never sinned, never broken any commandments. God accredited his faith as righteousness. And so those ideas are together here in Genesis uh, to pick up your shield of faith. That the moment you believe, you're, you're treated as righteous in, in Christ. And that means you now have God as your shield. He will protect you. And so there you go, okay, well, how did Jesus pick up the shield of faith? Well, in every moment, Jesus trusted his Father the way we ought to. If you turn to Psalm 22, I told you we're going to jump around this morning. Right? Jesus is on the cross being unjustly crucified. And he cries out so that all can hear. And it's, it's significant enough that he cries out, Lema, Lema, Lama, Sembekstani. They, they record it in the actual language rather than the Greek. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Right? And what Jesus expects someone to hear at the beginning of Psalm 22 is to remember the whole psalm. To fully understand the magnitude of what Jesus is saying as God has turned his face away, as he's suffering, as he's suffering at the powers of evil and against the the cruelty of evil men. Because the Psalm 22 written by David is about David at some unnamed time who's suffering. He's surrounded by humans who are acting like beasts who want to destroy him. He says, dogs have surrounded me, a company of evildoers. They have pierced my hands and feet. But my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? comes with the prayer. uh, But you, O Lord, verse 19, do not be far off. Come quickly to my aid. Come and save me. For they lay me down in the dust of death. But the next verse, uh, the next verses in verse 22, it moves from the dust of death to all of a sudden being alive back among the congregation and praising God's name. Verse 22, I'll tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. Right? You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has heard when he cried to him. I'm flying through this, but but part of what what we're seeing, right? Jesus, when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Could be interpreted as, I'm alone. God, you've left me. It could be a cry of doubt, not just dereliction. By quoting Psalm 22, Jesus is saying, I'm holding my shield of faith while I'm being beaten beyond human recognition. Because I trust that even if I go down into the dust of death, I will again praise my Father's name in the congregation among my brothers. I'm going to rise from the dead and praise God for the way he vindicates me. In other words, Jesus is picking up the shield of faith and trusting himself to the God who judges justly trusting that God will even raise him from the dead. Even while he's facing God's justice and the evil powers are pouring out their their lies and pain and misery. Also that we can cry out in faith and trust and know that God will be our help. So, I think we went through all the armor here, right? What Paul is saying, this is God's armor. This is, this is what Jesus put on to fight for you, to, to win, <laughs> to, to win you from the darkness. Um, that, that the reference of what the church is called to put on is wear what Jesus wore. Right? Put on the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation. Pick up the sword of the spirit. Pick up your father's words. Wear the, the readiness, uh, the, the shoes of peace, where you're always ready to, to speak the good news of the resurrection of Christ, that God reigns. Right. See, these are the tools that Jesus had to live a life of faith, the perfect life of faith without sin, to wrestle against the cosmic powers of darkness as he lived the life we should have lived, died the death we should have died, and even trusted God in death as he was buried, waiting for resurrection. 
And Paul says, those are your tools, church. Be strong in the Lord's power, not your own. Don't, don't overestimate your ability and underestimate evil. Right? And that's, that's the temptation. Right? I want to see the belt of truth and, and hear Paul tell, I want to have something to do. Right? God, give me something to do. I'll put on a helmet. I can do that, right? I can, I can be like David and pick up five smooth stones, my trust, my faith, my obedience, and whatever the other ones are, right? You know, the ways that we try and make the big story of the Bible about us rather than saying, no, look at how God has equipped us with the life, death, and resurrection and ascension of Christ. Using military metaphors to face evil, Right? He is telling us to put on, right? To consciously apply and think out the implications of the gospel. We are, but the, the main command is stand. Stand, therefore, having put these things on. And the, the, the language in the Greek is a past tense of a completed action. Right? It's something that has already happened to you. <laughs> and that's what Brian Chappell our denomination's stated clerk, and he, he's written the book on how to preach, so hopefully he's not grading this sermon. <laughs> so I'm quoting him. Right? Now, when he says, having put on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, he's saying, this is what's something that's already happened. Right? So we're called to go in the strength of the fact that Jesus is alive, seated in the heavenly places, and we are seated with him and we have been saved by grace through faith. So go and face evil as you pray. Right? What, are the, what are the weapons in your hand? You have the scriptures, God's word, and you have prayer. Both of which are saying, I do not have the, the abilities I would wish I did to, to function at life. I need God's wisdom. I need God's word to rule me and to control me, to, to tame the inner beast that I have inside me. And, right, I need prayer. And that's what prayer is, is a, a submission to God's power, asking him to intervene on our behalf. Even Paul. Paul, who's eloquent, who knows the scriptures, who's, who's clearly not a wimp. Right? He's in prison, he's been beaten, and he gets up after being beaten and goes back into the town. You know, when all of Ephesus is on fire and they're, they're hating on Christians, he's like, well, I'll just go stand in front and I'll tell them the truth. <laughs> no. Part of, even Paul says, pray for me, I need help. He's putting us down, he's putting himself as a normal human being who, who too needs God's grace, God's assistance. So we're being called, this is the big overview of, of Ephesians 6, to put on the armor of God and to go forward in the strength of the Lord as we live out what he commands us to do as a church. And yeah, that includes telling the truth and um, seeking to keep Christ's commandments and always being ready to, to explain the reason that you have for the hope within you and do it with gentleness and respect. God reigns. He raised Jesus from the dead. Do all that stuff. But we do so first, right, having been equipped by the life and death of Christ, his armor. Right, so how do, how do we do that? Well, 
You remember the, the famous story of David and Goliath? Right? It's a spiritual battle. Goliath, the giant Philistine, who's at least seven feet tall or 11 feet tall, depending on what, uh, what the numbers mean. And he's, the armies of Israel are camped against the armies of the Philistines, and Goliath comes out, and he keeps every day, he's taunting Israel. Functionally saying, you're a bunch of wimps. Is there anyone man of you, man, any one of you man enough to face me? As he curses them and curses their God. Right? He's heaping shame on them. If you remember last week, shame is one of the tools of the enemy that loves to make us feel like we're nobody. And the descriptions of Goliath in 1 Samuel 17 is he's decked out in all the best military technology. This is a man who overestimates his own abilities and his own strength. Right? He has armored himself with extraordinary confidence in his own strength. He's a big guy. And so even when you hear it when he talks to David, he says, come on, boy, let's, let's fight, and I'll feed your carcass to the birds and to the beasts. Right? And what is he wearing? He's wearing? It says he's wearing bronze armor, bronze helmet. He's got a spear that's made from bronze that, that weighs more than most of us can pick up. Right? He's jacked. But one of the things that the Bible Project guys point out the, in Hebrew is that the word for bronze sounds just like the word for snake. Right? It's nachash and nacheshet. It's got the three consonants in it. And so part of what they're doing with a Hebrew pun is saying, look at Goliath, he's a giant snake. He's decked out in scaly armor. That's how bronze armor works, right? You've got the, the scales that interwoven to protect you. And here is this serpentine warrior standing and insulting God yet again. So replaying Genesis 3, right? You've got the powers and the, the powers of the cosmic darkness embodied in this person. And what armor does David have when he goes up against Goliath? You remember? Nothing. I mean, someone will say five sous stones, and I'll say throw out that sermon. <laughs> right? Don't, don't be too uh, allegorical with the five smooth stones. Now, the only armor David has is confidence in the Lord's strength, the Lord of hosts. And he's confident that the Lord of hosts wants to take away the shame of his people. And so David will say things like, your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be just like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. And the Lord who has delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And of course, David goes forth strong in the Lord's strength, completely exposed in weakness, right? And he takes the stone, hits Goliath between the eyes, in the head. He crushes the head of the evil one. And then he takes the sword of Goliath and cuts off his head, using the tools of the enemy to heap more shame on them. And he cuts off the head of the snake. It's Genesis 3, 3.15. And what's the effect then on God's people? Israel, who's been a bunch of cowards, terrified to step forward in faith, 
because they don't trust that God will defend them. Seeing the victory of their champion fills them with courage. That's when they step forward in confidence to not just stand firm, but to go on the offensive. And of course, they all rout their enemies. We're in similar territory in Ephesians 6 when Paul says, be strong in the Lord. Be confident in him fighting for you. Right? That's what Christ did. That's what we're going to see as we come to the table here in a moment. He is our champion. Who, what was his armor? It was God's power. He was filled with the Spirit. Who in love, equipped with the armor of God, died in weakness so that we might be strong in him. Right? Different than David, he let himself be crushed. He, he let himself be defeated by the tools of the enemy so that he could use death itself to taunt him later. No, because Jesus is alive, resurrected, sitting in the heavenly places, we have the confidence to go forward that he is with us. And that even the shadow is a small and passing thing. Even the darkness will pass. So, this was a big overview of, of the gospel categories in Ephesians 6. You know, and, and it tells us the way you go out and strong in the Lord is to pray for one another, uh, to pray for, for courage for Paul. And we, would, we could apply that to ourselves, right? Pray for the courage to speak the truth of the gospel, to not be ashamed of the truth of the resurrection when you have opportunity. But the, I think the lesson is, is do not overestimate your own ability and underestimate evil. The call is, Trust Jesus. He's the one who defends us. And in, in this series, right, our battle is to see Jesus as he is. The one who saves us by grace through faith. The one who equips us to do the good work so he gives us his armor. And so, the, the big question this morning is, 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 how is your confidence in Jesus and his power to fight for you? Do you believe that God answers prayer? Do you believe that your strength is not in your own ability, but in what God will do for you? We're not passive by any means, but we ask for help. We, we boast in our weaknesses so that the power of the gospel might be strong in us. Are you ashamed to ask for help <laughs> from from a fellow Christian to say, will you pray for me? Right. Now, the, the, Paul is saying, right, be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might, and go wearing the armor of God. And to wear the armor of God is to trust, to have faith, to trust in God's promises. Let's pray.